Hello and welcome to the Painstorm podcast. I'm Fiona Talkington. And I'm Mark Smalley. And in this podcast, we're exploring neuropathic pain, what it is, what it's like living with it. And we're meeting some of the people behind the massive Painstorm research project. Fiona, before we go any further, neuropathic. Textbook answer, Mark, or full graphics? I think I'll go for both, actually. (laughs) Well, uh, burning, stabbing, shocking, relentless, too hot, too cold, freezing, numbing, uh, walking on fire, cramping, loud, too loud. Short answer there. It's a chronic pain caused by nerve damage, which can happen in a number of ways. Uh, For example, through chemotherapy, diabetes or HIV. And it generally doesn't respond well to medication and certainly not paracetamol. The issue of medication is certainly one of the topics we'll be discussing over this series. But back to Painstorm itself, it's a four-year research project which sits under the umbrella of the Advanced Pain Discovery Platform, bringing together academics from six universities, researchers, clinicians, pharmaceutical companies and patient partners, all people with lived experience of neuropathic pain, from tissue sampling to neuroimaging, how psychosocial factors impact people living with neuropathic pain. The aim is a bringing together of all of this work, which will make a huge difference to lives well mm. like yours, Fiona. Mm, yes, and for someone like me living with this pain, that's actually quite emotional. The thought that this immense work is going on and will make a difference to the 8% of the UK population who live with neuropathic pain. That's an awful lot of people living under the shadow of hidden disability and all the misunderstanding and the discrimination that comes with that having an absolutely devastating effect on life. And of course, one of the aims of this podcast is to widen the awareness and the understanding of peripheral neuropathy. And leading the Painstorm Research Project is Professor David Bennett. I'm a neurologist. Uh, I'm a, that means a clinician that deals with neurological disorders. And I'm an academic. So at the same time, I'm a researcher. And my official title is I'm head of the Division of Clinical Neurology in the Nuffield Department of Clinical Neurosciences at the University of Oxford. But essentially, I, I split my time between seeing patients with neurological problems with a particular interest in peripheral neuropathy and pain, and also running a, a large research program trying to understand what causes and how we can treat nerve injury and how we can prevent neuropathic pain. And I asked Dave what happens when a nerve is damaged. At the end of the day, the nervous system really works on the principle of electrical signals. And you could think of nerves a bit like wires. And that that wiring has gone wrong after an injury. And that's leading to miscommunication, a lack of signals when we would normally have them, and also excess signals, which particularly important for the generation of of neuropathic pain. The relationship between nerve injury and pain is a complex one. And I think on a structural level, if you were to cut a nerve, the the nerve provides, the sensory nerves provide a connection between the skin and the spinal cord. They're they're carrying signals from things impinging on your skin to the spinal cord, and they're carrying those as, an, as electrical signals. And what will happen if you were to cut the trunk of a nerve, those parts of the nerve beyond that region which has been cut will degenerate. And so you lose that connectivity to where the nerve would normally be be reaching, which is the skin. And that actually does lead to something of a paradox because you lose that connectivity, but at the same time, uh, in not everyone, but in a group of people, 
the sensory nerves essentially, and not only the sensory nerves, but their connections within the spinal cord and then in the higher brain centers become hyperexcitable. They, they start generating electrical activity when they shouldn't. And that, to an extent, is at the heart of much of neuropathic pain. And that can lead to a paradox which some patients will ask about. They'll say, why are my feet numb? but painful. It does seem like a real paradox. And that, that is because the terminals have been damaged and they're no, no longer reaching the skin. So if you were to brush or put something hot onto the skin, you can't feel it. But they're developing electrical activity of their own accord, which they, they shouldn't be because they've been damaged. And in a way, and I guess in a simplistic term, that's almost like a, that is creating an illusion to the brain. It, it's thinking that there's, there's some activity there when in fact there is not. And so you've got this tremendous paradox of numb, painful feet. Professor David Bennett, and we'll hear from him again later, as well as some of the other people involved in Painstorm. It just struck me there, Fiona, that Dave talked about something you've mentioned in passing, this paradox of numb but still painful mm. feet oh it's so true and people think that if your feet are numb that you can't feel pain but you can and that numbness well for me anyway fluctuates between uh, a really unsettling feeling that my leg just isn't there at all to a real frozen numbness and meanwhile the burning and the stabbing and the electrical shocks continue well, talking of feet, I've been talking with a fabulous dancer, Anusha Subramanian, who's done such profoundly expressive work to do with pain. And uh, Mark, you met up with a couple in Bristol to talk about the impact of neuropathic pain on their relationship. Yes, I had a, a really interesting conversation with uh, Alessandro and Sophia Noble. And he was involved in a, a car accident seven years ago and suffered double whiplash. His car was shunted from behind and then in turn that car and this caused severe damage to his neck and then to his foot. I asked Alessandro about the long-standing effects of that accident. The first consequence is my, my whole life was shattered. I was at a point in my life where just a couple of years or so ago before I graduated university, started as an executive head chef, relatively successful as far as I was concerned and exploring the world and everything and suddenly I couldn't go walking in the mountains. I couldn't dance. I couldn't make love. I couldn't have my nieces and nephew run up and give me hugs um, without screaming in the back of my head, this is going to hurt. Um, it made me very depressed and it massively changed my life. I'd say it's like you're having to start from zero again. And seven years on, could you give me a sense of, of your journey through pain? Has it evolved over time? Yeah. Initially, I was following what the doctors were saying um, at the beginning. They gave me high levels of medication. This got rid of the pain, but the resulting fact is it felt like I was basically drinking a bottle of rum a day. I was drunk in some respects. That's the only way to describe it. Initially, I was taking Coca-Cola more when I started, obviously injury, then I saw it to the doctors and they prescribed me medicine. Um, the prescriptions they were putting on were morphine uh, liquid and then a modified release tablet plus of morphine and then naproxen. I had discussions with my doctor about reducing my pain medicine. They said, you're going to be in more pain, but I said, will I be more awake, more lucid and less groggy? Um, that 
started me looking at other things like I I now go for more hope herbal remedies like if I if I can if I'm getting stressed I can drink chamomile tea mindfulness I also because I used to swim before my injury daily I after starting to find a physiotherapist who showed me a different way to swim with something called a center snorkel I started to make swimming and a sauna almost a religious daily thing that I would do every single day. You'll never get rid of the pain. The pain is a constant. Sophia, if I could bring you in here. Before you met Alessandro, you know, what was your own personal experience of pain? I've always thought of myself to be very fortunate because um, in a past where I have been aware of, you know, certain conditions and chronic pain, me, myself, I thought of myself as relatively healthy. Um, I don't suffer from any medical conditions that cause me pain. Um, I've been fortunate never to break a bone in my body. So um, I'd like to think I've been lucky that way or maybe I've just not lived enough. <laughs> and then tell me if I can ask what it was like when you met Alessandro beginning to get an insight into mm-hmm. chronic neuropathic pain. It was a learning experience. Um, Alessandro is a very bubbly man in nature. Um, So initially it was, I I think I found it difficult to comprehend um, his condition of chronic pain um, because, you know, you look at Alessandro, six foot, he looks healthy. Um, he's naturally a very bubbly, polite, you know, jovial person. Um, so initially it, it was difficult for me to understand. And there would be times whereby he would be quite ratty. And I would think, oh, what, what have I said? What have I done? Um, but then he would have to remind me, well, you know, I, I'm in pain. I'm in pain. I have learned to have more compassion um, for his condition by just taking time to really think and put myself in uh, his position or a position. I mean, I'll never really know what it feels like for Alessandro. That's beautiful to, to hear. How's that for you, Alessandro, to, to hear that? Yeah, it, it, I've, I'm, I, uh, this goes back to before even Sophia. The first time I told someone about my pain and so I've gone from an extremely active life to wanting to conquer everything again with a walking stick and you're now having to approach when meeting someone for the first time oh I have a walking stick how are they going to think I have a child how are they going to think how how do I approach this thing and the only way I could do it was just tell them I I was literally scared the first few times I was petrified what woman's going to want a man with a walking stick what woman's a man with chronic pain in Jekyll Hyde. Um, it has been a learning curve with Sophia. She's, I've had to tell her about my pain and she's had to learn how I am because I tend to push myself. I'm used to just pushing myself till I fall asleep. That's not good with a chronic injury. But the difference between, I've noticed with Sophia and maybe that's why it works better with Sophia than it, um, no, married now uh, obviously it has um to other partners with other experiences they have seen me as broken and babied me they wouldn't let me carry the heavy shopping they would always 
try and preempt anything. Sophia is different. She thinks she may be cold, but she's not. She waits for me. She lets me pick heavy things up and be a man. And I think, and and when I need help, I'll ask. She's still here, so obviously she sees the good in me. But you, the pain is just can be so debilitating. It can be a cloud, and it puts you to tears. Sophia, how, how's it for you hearing that appreciation for your acts of empathy? It sounds good, honestly, but, um, you know, I don't want to revel too much in praise for myself because I think Alessandro is the real hero here. I've experienced some of those times whereby, you, you know, you've, you've had the pain and been practically bedridden in tears, you know, expressing thoughts of just wanting to end it all. And, you yeah. know, those have been some of the most painful times for me. And sometimes... You know, I say, oh, if only I could just maybe take some of your pain, just experience some of your pain, just to give you that respite, um, I would. Because um, those times are, yeah, very, very difficult. Um, well, obviously for you, but yeah, it's, it's, it's also not easy for me to see you, um, you know, when you're in that yeah. much pain. Alessandro and Sophia Noble, who Mark met up with at their home in Bristol. Mark, I was really struck by their willingness to explore their relationship in the context of chronic neuropathic pain. And that's one of the many difficulties of living with painful neuropathies, that people can feel so isolated and so abandoned, whether within families, in social groups and at work, because they just don't feel understood. Yeah, that's certainly one of the things that Alessandro was sharing. I mean, he had to give up his work as a, as a chef and it's been hard to find a way through since then. Got the sense of the reassurance of the acceptance of Sophia for his condition, which he did tell me that a number of previous partners hadn't. You're listening to the Painstorm podcast with Mark Smalley and Fiona Talkington. And do feel free to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Details are just below and we very much want to reflect how life can be for someone living with neuropathic pain. So coming up in this episode, some thoughts around why neuropathic pain has frequently been overlooked by medicine. There isn't one patient's organisation. I think it's very important to increase awareness of this condition. There's massive underdiagnosis of neuropathic pain in primary care. One in two are not diagnosed and they, the patients can't diagnose themselves because they don't make the connection between the pain they have and that the fact that they have diabetes. Public health education is very important in this area which is really poorly appreciated at the moment. Professor Solomon Tesfai of Sheffield University and I'll be talking to to Professors Irene Tracy and Dave Bennett to tell us more about Painstorm. And there's a voice you might recognise from BBC News. And across this series of Painstorm podcasts, we'll be talking not just to people living with chronic neuropathic pain, like Alessandro, who we heard earlier, but also to Painstorm's medical researchers, clinicians and patient partners. And we're going to meet a few of them now in what we're calling Painstorm Postcards, to shed light on the variety of ways in which it's being approached. 
I'm Whitney Scott. I'm a clinical psychologist working on Painstorm. So I'm involved um, with some other colleagues looking at psychosocial factors. I grew up with a parent that has chronic pain um, and I saw the impact that that had on my mom. Um, and I remember when I was in undergrad, I read a paper looking at sort of social influences on pain experiences. And it really um, connected with my own experience of growing up um, with a family member with pain. And it just really got me fascinated in how, um, you know, the people around us influence our pain experience. Hi, my name is Jishi John. I'm a clinical research nurse working with David Bennett and um, I recruit, uh, my main job is to recruit participants for uh, pain storm, especially diabetic neuropathy and small fiber neuropathy and other peripheral neuropathies. Probably the pain actually got my attention and I just applied and I don't know how I got the job, but I got the job. <laughs> But now it's all changes because they were actually telling like in the past, um, they couldn't actually explain the pain they experienced because they can't show any evidence. And also all the tests come back normal. So um, some people actually explain like um, medics or whoever actually told them like the problem is actually in their head. My name is Jan Follett and um, I do data research specializing neuropathic pain with them. And I think what we really want to do now is come out of our silos. Yeah, my name is Anina Schmid. I'm a physiotherapist by training, but also an associate professor here at Oxford University with a specific interest in neuropathic pain, but also specifically in patients who have so-called entrapment neuropathy. So these are relatively minor nerve injuries, um, which are caused by compression of, of nerves but they actually lead to quite debilitating pain. And what I think is very exciting about it is indeed that we bring together so many people with different expertise and thinking caps on. This initiative can definitely be a game changer for, for pain as such and for people living with pain. And there'll be more postcards from the Painstorm team and we'll meet some of my patient partner colleagues next time who come from such a wide and varied background and have already made a big impact on Painstorm. And as I said, what we'd love is if we could really widen the awareness of peripheral neuropathy and neuropathic pain across the whole medical profession and in the general public. On which note, Fiona, would you be willing now to say something more about your own experience of living with neuropathic pain. Okay, Mark, thanks. I'll, I will keep it short for now, though, if that's okay. Um, my own neuropathic pain emerged in a strange and a very much a life-changing way after I'd had surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and a year's worth of Herceptin infusions for breast cancer. It took a really long time and some very hard work on my part to find recognition for my pain and getting some understanding. It continues to have a major impact on my life, my working life as a broadcaster, on traveling, and I can't tell you how stressful a simple commute to London can actually be. And we will follow this up, if you don't mind, the, the episodes to come and might even invite you to share some of your poetry with us. Uh, I don't mean that as a punishment. Um, <laughs> and perhaps I can be forgiven for coming to this topic of neuropathic pain as a generalist knowing next to nothing about it. But what I'm seeing is how long it's been overlooked because it's fallen between a number of stools. It's not been owned by any one branch of medicine or patient group or medical charity. As Solomon Tesfai told me, Fiona, when I came to hear your keynote speech on neuropathic pain, 
at the Royal Society of Medicine in London. Solomon is a professor of diabetic medicine in Sheffield with a long-standing interest in diabetes-induced pain. Diabetic peripheral neuropathy has the biggest impact in terms of the cost of diabetes in the UK. The NHS spends one in £140 is spent on the diabetic foot and diabetic peripheral neuropathy. And, and, and that really increased my interest and I started to do research in this area to try and change this unacceptable state of affairs to improve outcomes for patients. Once a patient develops a foot ulcer, they 50% mortality in five years. Under diagnosis of neuropathic pain that can easily be treated with current medications that are not expensive. And, and this really fuels my interest in this important area. I think patients with painful neuropathy, painful diabetic neuropathy are extremely disabled. Uh, they have a number of problems, <laughs> not just with the pain, but the impact of the pain on their life. They have uh, anxiety, depression, difficulty in sleeping, and they are in a constant tiredness, socially isolated. And unfortunately, there is poor understanding and appreciation in general practice. Um, GPs uh, do not know a great deal about these areas. Uh, and, and, and because neuropathic pain presents in different conditions, uh, no one owns it, as it were, and there aren't like the Diabetes UK, uh, there are other uh, celiac society who advocate for their condition examples, but there isn't one patient's organization. I think it's very important to increase awareness of this condition. Um, there's massive underdiagnosis of neuropathic pain in primary care. One in two are not diagnosed and they, the patients can't diagnose themselves because they don't make the connection between the pain they have and that the fact that they have diabetes. They think it's part of an aging process. And awareness needs to be increased. This can be done by patients' organizations. And I think um, public health education is very important in this uh, area, which is really poorly appreciated at the moment, where one in two patients are suffering without the diagnosis being made. It has to be a wake-up call. And this could be done by the Royal College of General Practitioners. There are many educational opportunities to increase awareness. And it has to start from medical school, you know, all the way to, to being a doctor. Well, as Solomon was saying there, diabetes is the number one cause, but painful neuropathies can be a side effect from cancer treatment and many other conditions uh, give rise to it. Here's Dave Bennett again. Somewhere around 50% of people with diabetes will develop a peripheral neuropathy. And of those patients that develop a peripheral neuropathy, 30 to 50% will develop troubling neuropathic pain. So this is a huge issue at, at population um, level. And you know, within the within the UK, you know, we've got rates of seven, eight percent of people with, with diabetes. So so it, it's it's a common problem. But, that's definitely not the only cause. Very yeah. commonly, unfortunately, patients that have spinal cord injury get terrible neuropathic pain. You can get infections that can cause a peripheral So one example is people may have heard of shingles, which is a viral infection that usually affects a particular, you, you will get a rash in a particular region of skin, but actually the sensory nerves, we were talking earlier about how sensory nerves provide connections to the skin that innovate that skin are also damaged. And that is an important cause of neuropathic pain in the community as well. There, there are other infections. So uh, we know that uh, having HIV 
can be associated with neuropathy, probably for quite complicated reasons, m maybe not just the virus itself, but also some of the treatments that we use uh, for HIV can cause neuropathy as well. And many drugs, unfortunately, one of the side effects of a number of drugs um, is causing peripheral neuropathy. There are important toxins that can cause peripheral neuropathy. To be honest, another one that's very common in the population is alcohol. So if, if you were to drink uh, in excess for, for a period of time, that also increases your risk of peripheral neuropathy. Now, alongside Dave Bennett, when I went to meet him in Oxford to hear more about Painstorm, was his colleague, the renowned neuroscientist Professor Irene Tracy, who uses brain imaging to better understand pain pathways. Master of Merton College, she's Oxford University's next Vice-Chancellor, and she told me what happens after a nerve's been damaged. You see things and you hear things and you taste things and you smell things. These are all perceptions. You know, you have a nose that does the smelling and ears that do the hearing and eyes that do the seeing. But it's the brain that receives the signals from those organs and puts it together. And then you, you have that perceptual experience of seeing something or smelling something. And pain's no different. It is something that arises because the brain receives those signals from those damaged peripheral nerves and it will interpret them and give you this experience that is, ouch, that hurts. And that's a mystery still for us to disentangle as to which bits and how that works and how that gets altered. So the one thing we have learned, and uh, Dave's done a you know, beautiful explanation there in, in terms of the damage that occurs and this constant firing of these signals that come in, is that they don't just hit a central nervous system. What I mean by that is your spinal cord and your brain as a sort of wall that it just hits like the sea pounding. You know, those systems, the spinal cord and the brain react to that constant barrage that's coming in, unfortunately. And the way they react to it is they start to set off changes that then oddly make it worse and start to turn the volume up. So a key strategy as well is to try and turn down these things that are now turning up the volume. And, um, and why the central nervous system does that, we can think about that in evolutionary terms, you know, in, in an acute sort of warning pain type model. Um, you can sort of see the relevance of that because it heightens the pain. So you're reminded you've hurt yourself. You've got to protect yourself. You've got to allow for tissue healing to occur. So that's why we've sort of developed probably these capabilities of doing that. But the challenge is in this constancy of these nerves sending signals in, these become quite hardwired and, and really ratchet up. And so they become very problematic, obviously, for the patient. So in the end, it could be that the peripheral nerve might be just sending a trickle in, but they're being massively amplified now by these processes, making the pain very painful. So we've got to turn them down. And I'm a big believer, even though I spent my whole career, you know, looking at these changes in the central nervous system, um, just stop the signals coming in, you know, go for the peripheral targets if you can, block them. And all these changes, the beauty of the human body and, and the brain and the spinal cord is that it's wonderfully plastic, which means it can melt in different directions. That's one way to think about it. So all these things that go wrong can reverse and calm down if you can just take away that constant input. That's our hope. Um, in, in many of the conditions. And of course, you know, the challenge is to find things that are going to stop those signals coming in and then to prove that there will be largely recovery of all those systems that have then sort of got overly excited. Let's move on to Painstorm. Dave, perhaps as, as leader of this project, would you like to introduce it? So this project arose as as part of an initiative, really, between UKRI and a charity versus arthritis. I should say UKRI is the kind of government funding for for medical sciences and biological sciences. And uh, what happened, if we just go back a bit, I think the way it started is quite interesting, which I, th I think it, it partly arose because versus arthritis, which is, is a 
charity that that is focused on arthritis actually did a survey of people living with arthritis to try and see what were their priorities and what were a significant problem for them and what the answer that came back loud and clear was pain um and and i i i think that triggered them to think about actually we would they would like to have a kind of focused funding call on pain and at the, at the same time i think ukri felt that actually uh, again the time was ripe to to uh, and it was such a big problem in in the population and that we don't have enough effective treatments that they also would like to have a funding call on pain so 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 they combined in this in a in a nationwide call to really try and focus on uh, chronic pain and uh, they asked for consortia so groups of uh, academics and and industry uh, and patient partners working together to try and form consortia uh, to tackle the problem of chronic pain and th- these consortia have taken various forms and painstorm is very much focusing on neuropathic pain so that's pain that arises due to damage uh, of the nervous system uh, and so you know we were we've been very lucky in the UK to to have this call and I, I think it kind of generated uh, a lot of interest and uh, I put together a team to try and meet meet this call and and form uh, and I think so far it's gone very well but to form a consortium to try and tackle the problem of of neuropathic pain there are other consortia so there's one working on visceral pain uh, there's a consortia that's trying to bring all these different data sets from the consortia together there's another consortia working more on the psychological very much focusing on the psychological aspects uh, of pain and there's another consortia working on the relationship between early life events and and chronic pain so the idea is kind of trying to tackle it from from different angles but actually also to be more than the sum of our parts so although we have these different consortia in what's called the advanced pain discovery platform um, which is this kind of big essentially the platform that's arisen as a consequence of this funding call we're trying to all work together so so that we can bring all these different angles of pain and different pain conditions uh, to really make, make traction uh, on this problem so our aspiration really ultimately is to have a develop a much better understanding of why neuropathic pain arises uh, in people to try and get better measures uh, of pain which is a, a real challenge uh, both in people being able to communicate it and also as outcome measures in trials if you can't measure something it's very hard to uh, to study and ultimately uh, to try and improve treatment of of neuropathic pain uh, and and so we're looking at it in a very multifaceted way with 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 really consortium across the UK so it's it's being coordinated uh, here in Oxford uh, but we're also working with Imperial College in London uh, King's College in London uh, Dundee University Aberdeen University we have a little offshoot actually outside of the UK which was is with um Kurt Crombes in in Ghent um and also collaborating with the other members of the advanced pain discovery platform as well as our patient partners and industry so we we're working with Lily and AstraZeneca all together in an integrated way to try and tackle the problem of neuropathic pain professors Irene Tracy and David Bennett talking to me in Oxford about their work with Painstorm and Fiona as someone who lives with neuropathic pain what does it feel like when you hear experts like Dave and Irene and, and others that we're meeting what's it feel like when you get the sense, the dimension of, of all this research that's underway. 
Oh, Mark, I can't tell you there's just all sorts of emotions. One is that there's just such huge relief that there are actually people doing this work. I mean, I felt so lost when my own neuropathic pain emerged and it took me a long time to find support and understanding and courage. And, but it's also incredibly moving hearing about their passion for their work and making me just feeling valued as a human being. You're listening to the Painstorm podcast in which we're exploring all sorts of aspects relating to neuropathic pain that results from nerve damage. And we'd like to hear from you, the listener, as well. Meanwhile, Fiona, you've been looking at your dancing shoes. Oh, yes. All right. Um, Bare feet, Mark, actually. Always bare feet. Um, You know, the joy of lockdown was that I didn't have to wear shoes for such a long time. No, shoes send my feet and legs screaming into the abyss. But you are right about the dancing. Um, I'm plotting to get together with a wonderful dancer, Anusha Subramanyam. Now, I first came across her when I went to a conference called Encountering Pain, run by Deborah Padfield uh, a few years ago now. And that was a real turning point in my life, learning about Deborah's work with using visuals to express and communicate pain. And I went to a workshop run by Anushi about using the body and the gestures as an expression of pain. Now, recently, I just caught up with her just before she was about to go on stage for a, a performance. So excuse the slightly dodgy line. Because I'm also a South Asian dancer, it's very much to do with imagery. And therefore, I've always found when you uh, find a sense of imagery for yourself, then movement becomes very easy uh, in the sense that uh, through through our imagination, we can do so much that it it can support um, almost pain-free moving. And also gives the agency of movement to the person who's moving. I remember when I first met you, it was at a conference that Deborah Padfield had organised. And we saw so many really striking images of pain as she was exploring how to communicate and express pain. So things like um, a razor blade in a strawberry, that, that sort of barbed wire around the wrist but how we can look at those images, but, but then uh, use them uh, for our own expressions and how you did that so beautifully, how you, you brought us together with something that was painful to look at, painful to perceive. You were able just to make us feel, I know for me certainly, make us feel alive in the freedom to adopt gestures that perhaps wouldn't normally be our practice and therefore to own our own feelings and our own responses to our own pain perhaps is that something that you you felt came out of that work with with Deborah yeah that's very beautifully put uh, Fiona um so when Deborah introduced uh, me to the images for me the images you're so right they're so powerful Physically, I'm not a pain sufferer, but these images evoke such emotional response 
And how I moved with them was a response in my own body. And that then um, connected to emotions that were coming. I, I was not sure whether it was the emotion that triggered the movement or the, uh, the other way around. What we did was we all, uh, layered those images on my body as I dance. And for me, that, uh, would, that conveyed much more power. I really felt that I was dancing a kind of universal pain. Yeah, how to create compassion for oneself and therefore be able to share that with others. That's where I think suffering alleviates. I found, and certainly in the uh, the workshop that I did with you and the one we shared on, on screen, that by using gesture, uh, you're really enhancing your own relationship with your body. And it's not trying to distract yourself from the pain, but bringing it in more closely and being with it. And I found especially with with hand gestures and the, the very beautiful um, and explorative ways in your own tradition that you use the hands, that there is something that brings things closer and allows me a sense of clarity about oneself. This is who I am now in this moment. And I can build a practice that I can then reach out and use as a tool, as, as something that when I'm feeling lost, I may just put my hands together and remind myself that this is my body and, and we're together. And well, we have so much more to explore and I know we're going to meet up and do some of this, um, but it's so interesting just talking now as a taster Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Because what you said also, um, certainly as a, that's my personal experience, what you talked about, you know, connecting your, to yourself, even if it's a painful self or a physically painful self, uh, I find just as a, you know, even in a regular basis, when I move, I find I am a much more joyful person to be around. You know, of course, that's not as simple for chronic pain sufferers. But even so, there is something about, I think, um, what it is, what I find in dancing is you distance, in some way you're so close to yourself, but I think you also create a distance from our own psychological drama. You're so much more in the moment. It's really something very beautiful you've you've reminded me again of. And that was Anusha Subramaniam. I love her work and I'm so excited that I'm going to go and dance with her and continue to develop my relationship with my pain and my body. I've looked at the agenda for the conference when you saw Anusha working with Deborah Padfield. It looked an extraordinary occasion of bringing together arts practitioners, artists, dancers, medical researchers, it was a real game changer in, in my life and I came away feeling empowered and I had the courage to actually realise that there were people who could help and there were other ways of expressing pain. We're almost at the end of this episode, but here's a taster of next time. So just now, I'm glad to say you didn't notice it, but I was wincing because once again, I was getting the baseball bat taken to my instep 
there isn't a baseball bat, but it felt like it. It felt like I was being absolutely battered on my instep. And for about three or four seconds, very painful, but I just tensed my muscles to try and distract from it. And I guess it worked because you didn't notice it. No, I didn't. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, if that voice is in any way familiar, well, in the next Painstorm episode, we meet Frank Gardner, the BBC's security correspondent, who's been living with chronic neuropathic pain ever since he was injured in a terror attack. And I'll be talking with Professor Andrew Rice, Professor of Pain Research at Imperial College London and a globally respected figure in pain research. And I promise, I promise that I really will hit the dance floor with Anusha. But that's it for now. Almost, you know, except we haven't yet said what Painstorm actually stands for. True. Well, here goes. It stands for Partnership for Assessment and Investigation of Neuropathic Pain, Studies tracking outcomes, risks and mechanisms. Genius. Thanks for joining us. We're looking forward to the next time. From me, Mark Smalley, goodbye. And from me, Fiona Talkington, many thanks and see you next time. Mm -hmm.